Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Jeremy Pender. Jeremy is the head coach at Vision MMA Cincinnati. He is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and a professional MMA fighter. I appreciate Jeremy joining me today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. We're going to head to the Louisville Combat Academy Roadcaster line, where I am now joined by Jeremy Pender. Jeremy, how are you today? I'm well, sir. How are you? Doing very well. Jeremy is the head coach and owner of Vision MMA Cincinnati, is that an, not, I'm not the owner. Okay, I'm not I'm the sorry. owner. Of that. I was going to say, is that an accurate description? You're not the owner. No, but you are the head coach. I am the coach. I'm the head coach there. Yes. Okay. And you are also the most successful professional MMA fighter out of that gym. Is that accurate? Um, I don't know. I mean, so like for right now, maybe. Okay. Um, before we started recording, Jeremy. You said, so what are we going to talk about today, Kelly? And I said, well, Jeremy, every time I have you on, we get to talk about fascinating topics uh, within the world of mixed martial arts in the Kentucky and Ohio area. Of course, you're kind of an OG when it comes to this regional MMA scene. Um, Of course, you coach, you know, some really good fighters there at Vision MMA Cincinnati, but also your MMA career is, you know, very, very intriguing. You're, you're the type of guy who, I don't know who we could compare you to, but the older you get, you appear to be just now at the age of 35 hitting your prime. Is it, does that sound right? 
Um, I mean, I'm better than I've ever been. If that's an accurate assessment of what you're saying. What, what, yeah. do you, what do you credit that to? You haven't really taken much time off training or how did you, well, do you think it's, it's atypical to hit your prime? It's, it's such a weight, low weight class at age 35, 35. I, I definitely think that it's not the norm for sure. I don't think that, uh, that anyone's looking at the up and coming 35 year old. Um, you should already be pretty well established at that point. And, uh, if you expect to have like a, a bigger career, but I told you before we got on, I was like, I, I just feel like I'm a late bloomer. I, uh, I'm not very gifted athletically or like physically. So I really have to work at it mentally and approach the game from, uh, from maybe a different way. And, uh, I think my most recent approach to training and, and how to, uh, get ready for, for a fight. Uh, I think that's the best one that I've found so far. And I think we've been, uh, in a groove lately. So I just now getting into where I feel like I know what I'm doing and that I'm good at fighting. So I'm not super, uh, anxious about anything. I think I've asked you this on previous episodes, but every, it seems like every time I talk with you, you win a fight in a way that I wouldn't have predicted you would win a fight. You won over Ben Pierre Saint, April 22nd, 2022, via unanimous decision. Is there any way that you have not won an MMA fight? Um, I don't know. Triangle? Yeah, I mean, I'm... Uh, Oh, you mean like yeah? There's a ton of submissions that I've I haven't won with. Okay, but as far as the basics, I mean, is it, what what bases have you not covered? Because I mean, winning a, a unanimous decision in your most recent fight, right before that, you beat Terry Lemire with a, a spectacular third round knockout. Before that, you won over James Porter with that very unorthodox bottom side control uh, Americana with your with your legs. I mean, heel yeah. hook over Donnie Ballou, rear naked choke. I mean, you've, you've got quite the resume and quite the assortment of ways to win an MMA fight. Is that, is that by design or you just kind of go in there and see what happens? Yeah, I think that's by design. Um, and also I go in and kind of see what happens. Um, maybe to the first point about like, me just now hitting my prime, maybe it's taken me this long to like really figure out how to be dangerous from every position. Um, so now it's becoming apparent. So like no matter where the fight's going to be, you're in uh, danger of being finished. Literally, literally anywhere. Right. I mean, with yeah, like bottom, like we, I have stuff from bottom mount that I like to do to like for submissions. So it's not, like a, uh, the only thing I can think of from bottom mount would be, and I've pulled this off, not at a very high level, but I've wrist locked someone from bottom mount and got them. Oh, attacked. cool! Yeah, yeah, we've got a different a different thing there. But what you care to share that with me? What, how do you submit someone from bottom mount? Uh, I I would prefer not to talk about it, honestly. <laughs> Like we can train and I'll show you, but, uh, it's definitely something that is sneaky and surprises people. So I don't want to put it out there, especially if I'm going to be fighting like fairly soon. So 
I interviewed Jonathan Ivey, and he is a fascinating guy. Are you very familiar with Jonathan Ivey? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm very familiar with Jonathan. Uh, I've been. He was featured in Tap Out magazine, and I got like super into him, and like started to try to play around with a lot more leg lock stuff because of that guy. But he has entries, of course, from bottom mount. So I, I you know. yeah, into the legs for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's not very uncommon. A lot of people play that like roll up and single leg X position or like a reaping outside heel hook position. Very, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know Joe Bays or, you know, there's not that many guys who do it in MMA really. Is there, a- am I overstating that? There's not of that what, many. like do that particular setup for the, for yeah. the heel hook. Who, 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 oh yeah. I don't think Yeah. many people should be focused on trying to submit from bottom out. They probably should be more appropriating their time to escape. I just think that like, if the way that I've tried to build my game is like, no matter what position I'm in, I'm, I feel like I can mitigate damage and start looking for offensive opportunity. Okay. Um, Jeremy, before we move to, to, uh, the next topic, could you give me a recap of what happened in your fight over where, where you defeated Ben Pierre Saint via unanimous decision? Oh, um, uh, the pl- our, our in- initial plan going in, I thought that it was going to be in a very much closer range than that. I thought that he would be looking to close the distance and get in on my legs, but uh, I guess he wanted to kickbox, so we kind of stayed out in the furthest range and I just kept kicking his leg over and over again. I tried to use my feints and my stand switches to really beat up the inside and the outside leg. Um, there was a couple of moments where it looked like he kind of moved me around a little bit with some shots, but, uh, I think I counted like seven total seven moments where he was like kind of offensive, but I thought I controlled that fight for the most uh, for the most part. And then in the third round, there was like a little exchange where I kept dipping under his, uh, his right hook and almost coming to his back. So in the third round, I just kind of like grabbed the body lock and tried to throw him down. And we ended up on the ground and I put him in some submission attempts and, uh, thought that I had one particular armbar position where I had the triangle from the back and I was working a Kimura armbar. And I kind of like ran out of arm. I started going back to like straighten his arm out. And I was like, damn, people's arms are usually longer than this. And I kind of couldn't extend his arm. And he was just really, really slippery on bottom. Like not literally, but like just doing enough to, to not get fully locked into stuff. It was super frustrating. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was that. Do you have a preference? Do you prefer to fight a southpaw or an orthodox fighter, or does it matter? It doesn't matter anymore. It used to be a big problem for me, but I uh, I figured it out. I I put a lot of time and effort into that. So I I, I saw you did some switching in this fight against Ben Pierre Saint. Uh, yeah, a lot. Yeah, so if someone's a, a southpaw fighter, um, I'd imagine if you're standing orthodox, maybe... You know, your offense, maybe you have a better punch here, a better 
defense there, that type thing, but it's more of a, there are more, a, yeah. a feel thing, I would assume, the more that you've done it, since you've had so many reps. Yes, yes. It starts becoming a little bit of feel, but it, it's also very rudimentary. Like, you, you, need to, you need to learn all the parts, and, and then you can start doing it. Do you have a certain fight that you're most proud of? Uh, my last one, I think. Like, not that I did exceptionally well. It's just like I was watching it the other day and, and I gave myself a pretty good grade. I, th- I thought that I had like probably a B plus or an A minus in footwork on that, on that fight. There was a couple of things that I could have done better, but for the most part, I thought I did really good with my feet in that fight. So that's really what I was focused on, on getting uh, practice with in that fight. I recently watched it, and it looked like you were doing a nice mixture of, and this may not be the most technical of terms, but you would allow him to come forward a little bit, and you'd feel it out, and then at certain points, you were almost the aggressor, but then you were almost going into being a counterpuncher, like you would back up and wait for him to take the you know, he, for him to initiate the action and then you would immediately switch it to the other way. So it seems like watching in particular that fight, which it sounds like you are, uh, you would agree with me that it's a, it was an impressive, you know, a, a very impressive win for you. Um, that there's a lot of stuff going on there with that type of a, really a, a kickboxing match. I mean, yeah, I think there's a lot of parts to the, to the stuff that I do, but I just wasn't able to, to really get to the to the meat of it because he didn't want to engage like he was he was adamant about like trying to stay out of range totally or jumping in completely so like there's a a nice little like what people refer to as the pocket like a 50-50 position where we can hit each other equally i feel like i could operate in the pocket and and find dominant attack angles from inside of like chaotic exchanges. I think I'm pretty good at that. So I was hoping that that was going to happen, but it never really happened. Do you prefer 135 pounds or 125 pounds? Um, I don't know. That was like for real, my first honest 125 fight. So what do you mean by honest? Like I tried to get down to fight Raymond Yanez one time and I made it to 128. And I couldn't go anymore, so we just met at that cash weight. Okay. Um, what What do you credit your ability to successfully get down to, to 125? What, what do you credit that to? Have you just gotten better with your diet, or what is it? 100% Aaron Slusher, um, my coach. Um, he's He does a company called Achieve Peak Performance. He did all the, the math and kept me on track and just put me in a real good position to make weight. Like not, I, this one wasn't super easy because I had gotten, uh, sick, like the week before fight week. And I could not get down lower than, than a, I was too high and I wasn't on schedule, but like for the most part, everything that he did, all of the adjustments that he made, like it put me in a really, really good position to make weight fairly easily. So, uh, with this next one at 125, hopefully I don't get sick the week before the fight and it'll be even easier. 
but yeah, it's Aaron Slusher at Achieve Peak Performance. He uh, he mapped everything out and made it really, really easy. I just have to measure my food. Okay, so so any idea what what is next for you specifically for you in your fight career? Um, I anticipate the next fight to be uh, Shojin Miki for the for B two. Um, I know we talked about doing uh, West Virginia, but. Man, that's such a long way away, and I don't think anybody will come and watch it. I'd like, I'd like to fight a little bit closer, maybe like Tennessee or something. How do I find that guy? What's his name? Sojin. Sojin Miki. S H O J I N. Miki. M I K I. I believe that's how you spell his name. Okay. So a ten and eight professional MMA fighter out of Hawaii. Okay. And he fought for the B2 fighting series in, in March. Okay. I see. And he most recently fought for Front Street Fights in April uh, at 125 pounds. Okay. So it, it looks like he will be most... He fought Kendrick Latchman as well. Okay. Before that, in the tournament that we're in. Okay. So Shojin. Very cool. What what do you know about him? It looks like he's five foot eight, but um, uh, other than that, it sh- shows that he has a. I mean, does it say one of his coaches is Chris Lieben? Um, I from what I remember hearing is he was he's from Hawaii, and I know Chris runs a program out there. I think the place is called the Arena, if I'm not mistaken. But like, yeah, that's not out of the ordinary, like. Um, all right. So we'll have that to look forward to. Have you been impressed with the B2 fighting series across the board recently? Um, yeah, I've been, I've been digging all the stuff that, that they've been doing. Um, the iPhone one was weird though. I wish they would have kept commentary on it Hmm. and like showed the walkouts and stuff. Okay. Um, I actually did not even see that one. So it was kind of an awkward stream as you could watch it with no commentary or walkouts. Is that right? That's, I mean, it would, from what I remember, yeah, there was no, no like fighter walkouts and there was no commentary to the fights. All right. Um, so outside of your fight career, Jeremy, of course, you have some other yeah. f- other fighters you coach. Um, tell me about Perry Stargell. I know he has an upcoming fight against Nathan Pierce. Tell me about Perry. Yeah, Perry's uh, man. I don't like. What would you like to know about Perry? You've been coaching him for quite some time, haven't you? Uh, yeah, he's been with us since I think he was nineteen. Um, he is listed at twenty six years old. Last weighed in at one seventy four. Um, 26 years old, six foot one, I mean, five and two pro just based on that. It sounds like someone who, who probably has, you know, a potentially very high ceiling. Um, yeah, what, what I think of- that he could be in any big organization and be competitive, be in, be in the top there. No problem. He has all the physical skills and he's super smart. So it'd be uh pretty difficult to deal with him. Care to do any any type of a, a, a preview of Perry Stargell versus Nathan Pierce? Anything? I know Nathan Pierce has been around the scene 
for a very long time also. But what can we expect from that fight? You know, like, I uh, watched Nathan's fight with, uh, I think, the name, uh, Gabriel Moda. Did he fight him? He did, yep. Yeah, that fight was sick. Um, I think he uh, Nathan has awesome head movement. He likes to engage in the pocket and sit there and, like, kind of, you go and I'll move and go and then hopefully hit you or you move and, like, have, like, a good pocket, like, 50-50 exchange. I just don't think that that's going to be plausible with Perry. Like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's just built different. But, like, when that dude hits you, it's, uh, like, it's different. Like, he's got special speed. Like, he's super fast, and he rocks people pretty easily, like, accidentally. So, like, I think that early it would be a bad idea to engage, like, he, uh, in the 50-50 um, he has good kicks, good low kicks. Um, of course, most people's uh, most people who fight Barry see like one of his earlier fight his pro pro fights where he got leg kicked and like beat by low low kicks. So everybody tries to low kick Barry, but he's got close to a hundred percent check rate in his last couple fights. So I'm happy with that. Um, let's see. I really haven't seen a bunch of uh of Nathan on top of people either I haven't really uh dived into the to the film necessarily either though but um Perry is extremely difficult to take down and extremely difficult to keep down unless he's like content with being down so like we'll see I don't know um I think the matchup's cool I think that Nathan Pierce is a super tough dude and it's a fight that if Perry makes a big mistake, he can definitely lose. But I think that on paper, he should he shouldn't have too much of a tough time with with Nathan. For your your fighters, the guys that you corner, you coach on a daily basis, how much of their fight footage, or how often do you watch their most recent fights, or even older fights, things like that? Are you big on film study for your fighters? For my fighters, I watch their fight. Like I watch them operate in the cage, and then I watch them operate in the training room. Like I don't really watch them over and over again. I feel like watching yourself is a little bit more difficult, or watching your own guys is a little bit more difficult because they can be doing something completely different in the training room, and like going into a fight your game plan is to specifically work this one thing. And if they do that, well, awesome. But like that could be antithetical to their like real style. You understand what I'm saying? Sure. And in, in a episode that I recorded with you relatively recently, and this may be somewhat consistent with what you're saying, you said about yourself, I think it was before the Terry Lemaire fight when you were so confident. And I was thinking, this is like the rebirth of Conor McGregor. This is fucking amazing. But you said that, that something like he could watch all the footage of Jeremy Pender that he wants, but that has nothing to do with the current version of Jeremy Pender that will get into the cage for that fight. So it's like everything in the past, yeah, that's the past. That is, in fact, an older version of you or your fighter. But what's most important, I think is consistent with what you're saying, is where you're at now. So what you see in the training room, what you're seeing when you do, you know, your 
your maybe your light sparring or whatever you you type of work you do with them. What's most important is what they're doing now. Yeah, but I think that maybe I have I had kind of oversimplified it. If there are things, if I feel like my my fighter had made a mistake in the fight, like an obvious mistake that they that needed rectification and it just wasn't a mental lapse. I will absolutely sit down and watch film with them and, and tell them and show them um, each time that the people lose. Like I try to do at least one sit down and watch the fight and, and do like a critical analysis of it with the person. But um, other than that, like it's literally, I write down all the things that I saw, all the things that we could do to systematize and drill rectification of the issue. Right. So you can go and see a problem, but if you don't know how to fix it via drilling, just like, uh, that's not enough. You know what I'm saying? Like watching the film study and be like, Hey, you got to check low kicks more. Like, okay. I just told you how to fix that problem. Now it's on you to go find a way how to just check low kicks more like just be cognizant of that. And now you're just all of a sudden going to check low kicks. No, you have to put it into a system. You have to do drills every single day to make sure that you start checking low kicks better. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Zachariah Kamara is a fighter who has over the past, gosh, four years. I remember I commentated his fight, when he made his, his debut for the B2 Fighting Series back in June of 2018. I didn't realize it was that long ago, but he also over the past four years, slowly at first, but then very suddenly, Zachariah Kamara has stormed onto the scene and he is one of the more promising, I guess, prospects in the region. He accepted his professional debut MMA fight for the B2 Fighting Series 168. June 25th, against Tyler DeHaven. Tyler is 2-0 and as a pro, um, 25 years old himself, out of Iowa. So, I mean, I don't even know what kind of background that guy has, but... he uh, He's training in Florida. Okay. Is he training in Florida? What, what type of fighter yeah, is Yeah, I think Tyler he's training DeHaven? at Tyson, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I actually... Yeah. I'm not positive, though. What were you saying? Why, why did Zachariah Kamara not take a cupcake of a pro debut? I mean, it doesn't matter who, like, why, why would he, who would, who would say yes to that? That was the problem. Like we couldn't find anybody to say yes to him for his pro debut. Okay. That makes sense. Um, His fight against Seth Schaefer, he won convincingly, uh, but I mean, that was almost like a, um, I think Zach broke his jaw and had, you know, I mean, that Zach didn't break his jaw. Seth broke his jaw. I'm sorry. Seth broke Zach's jaw. (laughs) Yeah. So was it basically like you and Zach were like, okay, this Seth Schaefer was a, of course, you know, he was a stud headed into that fight. He was eight and oh as an amateur. And then he got in there and he got his ass kicked, but he still made some contact with Zach and he broke his jaw. Yeah. Once. Okay. That was awesome. Was it just one it was shot? A great shot. One shot. I mean, he's hit him. He hit him a couple times, but like one real good shot, obviously. Okay. Um, was it because of that damage that you and Zach decided screw this amateur stuff 
if you're going to go in there and put your body on the line, you're going to get paid for it. Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was kind of the consensus. Okay. Um, style. Yeah. That, I mean, it was simple. Yeah. I, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't go out and, and risk injury. So a fighter, the caliber of Zachariah Kamara is kind of wasting his time as an amateur at a certain point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he can compete right now. Stylistically, what can we expect, or what can you say that we expect, we should expect for Zachariah Kamara against Tyler DeHaven? Um, I think Zach's going to get in there and feel out whatever he wants to do, like as far as the stand-up goes. Uh, just the way that he moves and kind of faints and faints again and faints again and like really gets you guessing about what's happening. Um, it just kind of freezes you and you, you'll catch yourself like jumping in with one shot or one or two shots. And he's just like sliding out of the way and, and hitting you three or four times, throwing a kick, throwing a low kick, getting you to sit your weight down and then kick your leg. Like he's really talented as far as like his striking and finding the distance, like closing the distance to get in on him is a nightmare. Once you're in on him, like finishing takedowns on him is super hard. He's a really good judo player. If he gets the, if he gets you against the cage in the clinch, it's a nightmare. Uh, yeah, he's stupid. He's improving so fast, so fast on the ground. Like it's going to be absolute terrible. Like this, it's going to be awful rolling with that guy in like two years. What is, or are there any significant differences from someone who has a judo background like Kamara versus someone with a, a wrestling background? Obviously, it's different, but how does it translate into MMA? Can, can you speak Zach about that? Zach wrestled for a year in college, man. Oh, that's right. And he still does a little bit of work on occasion in the college wrestling room, doesn't he? Oh, no, dude. We wrestle every week, like multiple times. Like, we wrestle. <laughs> Okay, so you, you guys... Like, he's more than prepared. He is more than prepared. Um, but the judo, the judo foundation, do you think that's very helpful for MMA? I, I think it's awesome to... Like, you just get to draw from a whole nother set of techniques that you have, like... If you're high level in that art, like, you have decent mastery over. Like, they could do... So, usually when I train with like judo people, they have like one or two throws that they're like, that's their shit. That's their best techniques. And they just have like so many ways to get you with those. Um, like if you have a high level judo player, they can hit you with like 50 techniques and they're all decently high level. And Zach's a brown belt in judo and which isn't like complete mastery of the, the art, but he definitely has like two or three positions that, if you get there, you're getting thrown or tripped and his ability to improvise and like go to other types of throws when, when he's grappling is pretty impressive. Like scrambling around with him and like where you feel like you've got the takedown and it's almost there and he does one thing and then you end up on your back and it sucks. Okay. Other than yourself um, and, and a couple other vision fighters we just discussed, is there, is there anyone else? From Vision, any other fighters that have upcoming matchups that we should mention? Um, 
I mean, we have a bunch of amateur people that have matchups coming up. Uh, damn, is there anybody else on the B2, or is it just uh, Harry and Zach so far? Do you know? Um, not off the top of my head, I don't know. No, I'm looking at the card here. Um, yeah, I, I have all of it like written down on our whiteboard in my office, but I'm just at my house right now. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I don't have that. Now, all right, so if we're looking at that card, Friday, June 24th, 2022, another matchup on the card is a fighter you're familiar with. Ben Fowler is sitting at one and one as a pro. He's facing off against Gabriel Mota who is five and seven as a pro. I think you're at least a little bit familiar with each of these fighters. Is that right? Yeah. If you had to give me your high level technical analysis, Jeremy Pender analysis, what could we expect from this 195 pound pro matchup? Um, if I am correct in assuming I, I, I feel like Ben has quite a reach advantage on Gabe Moda. Yeah, Ben is six foot three. Gabe Moda is listed at five foot nine. I don't have the exact reach numbers, but yes, must be a significant yeah. reach. Yeah, I think that it Moda is going to have a hard time getting in and and connecting good with Ben unless Ben plays like a short boxing game. Ben can keep him at the end of his punches, long range stuff, kick his legs, kick his face. It, it would be an easy fight. Uh, let's see if I, I don't know how Moda is on the ground, but. I know Ben's really good, so I would imagine that he'd be fine regardless of who takes who down. Um, seems like Ben should uh, cruise to uh, a victory on that one. Okay. Um, are there any recent fights for the B2 fighting series that have caught your attention? Uh, Mondelli doing awesome. Shout out to Nick Mondelli. What about Nick Mondelli has impressed you? I assume, or I'm guessing, you have seen him from the very beginning. I commentated his first fight against Taylor Wood when he was put completely out. He almost looked like he just got in there and he was ready to fight. And then just as quickly as he got in, the fight was over and he was unconscious. But what type of progression have you seen from Nick Mondelli? Um, yeah, he's definitely become more comfortable in the cage. He looks like, I don't know where he trains or how he trains or anything, but I imagine that, uh, that, uh, he, he's picked up his training and taken it more seriously since he started. Um, it didn't look like he was going to be very good or like last very long in the sport, but he's really turned everything around. It just, it's a testament to show like if you start taking things seriously and just being disciplined about them, like anybody can do anything. I'm sure that Nick Mondelli doesn't think that he's special. He just worked really hard to get as good as he got. Right. It's the same with everybody. The, the I love to see that kind of stuff. Oh, I, I agree with you. That's the ultimate MMA nerd or MMA fan, like nerding out type thing is when someone gets in there, maybe almost like in a similar way, I've compared him in the past to kind of like Jesse Romans also. Um, Someone who starts out from almost scratch and then just works their ass sure. off and they turn out to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. The, the one fight Mondelli won that surprised me the most was against Zach Skoll. I think his real name is Zlatko Skoljan. Um, but Nick just outworked him and won a unanimous decision over a guy who I thought had a clear wrestling advantage. Did you happen to see that fight, Jeremy? I did not. 
I did not. I just, I see him fight at a lot of the shows that I'm at and I'm just like, oh man, he's always like, it, it always looks like he gets better every single time. I agree. He's now six and five as an amateur fighter. And at the very least, I mean, that's the type of guy who will probably at some point go pro and at least fight a few fights. I mean, he'll have a, a nice career to look back on at the end, at the end of things and, and something to be very proud of. I agree with you. I think that's cool. as shit. Um, Jeremy, I appreciate you joining me. Is there anything else in particular that you would like to mention or touch on before we start the process of, of wrapping uh, the show up? I mean, Nathan Manis, a, a former opponent of yours, <laughs> has a, a big fight coming up in the UFC, of course, against Khabib's cousin. Are you familiar with that matchup? Yeah, I love that matchup. Yeah, I think that uh, Nate is at a great spot right now. To, to pull a big upset off. Umar is 14-0 and 0 as a pro. He's 26 years old. He, of course, is a, a wrestler. Um, You're if, talking about uh, Nurmagomedov? Correct, yeah. Yep, Nurmagomedov, yeah. yep. Um, so you think if Nate Manis is to win, he's going to need to use his, his boxing and his uh, scrappy fight Ability, try to make it dirty type deal. Is that the strategy you would expect from Nathan Manis? No, I don't. I don't think that that would be the way to go about fighting that guy. Okay. I think yeah, use your boxing and stay at range. Like try to whoop his ass on the feet. Like he's got obvious power in his hands. Like he can finish people from like with knockout. He's done it before. He's got enough wrestling. Like he's a super strong dude. Like he's going to be able to at least be manageable in the clinch. But I think that using trying to hurt him coming in, catch him in the transition while he's trying to take you down uh, by submission. I think that's the way to get that guy. Okay. I know everyone in Kentucky. Particularly leg submission, probably leg submissions. I think that that would be a good idea to attack a leg submission on that guy. I know Nathan Manis has been working with like Bobby Eamons a lot lately, so I, I assume yeah. he's familiar with the, the leg game more so now than ever. Is that a safe assumption? Hundred percent. Yeah, that's precisely what I why I made that that call. I was like, I know who he's training with, and if he grabs if he grabs a good position on that kid's leg, he can he can really tear his knee out. And then, like, how good of a wrestler are you going to be with one leg? <laughs> How cool would that be to see? Because you got to assume someone like Nathan Manis has a degree. I mean, you've got in the cage with him, Jeremy. You tell yeah. me. Is he a natural athlete, someone who learns very quickly? He did not even wrestle in high school, and he's got a pretty solid wrestling game. Um, I assume Nathan Manis is learning the leg attack game at a, a pretty, pretty advanced pace. Yeah, some of the highest level training that you could get probably in the country uh, for for particularly that style of leg leg attacks. Those the nice guys guys are really really good. Like Dave and Bobby and Jessaray, they're all super super good technician. Like they're amazing jujitsu players. Do you think it is uncommon for someone to get hot, have a nice successful pro career, and then later in their career start to add different dimensions? I know you have done it. 
and it appears Nathan Manis is working on doing that type of a thing. This is almost a, uh, I don't want to say random, but this is a specific prediction from you, Jeremy, for this fight against Khabib's cousin for Nathan Manis to maybe attack his legs. But do you think... Oh, I just, yeah. I think personally that like if I had to build a game plan to, to fight that guy, I would get pretty specific on the striking. But like as far as the grappling goes, I think that it's in the transitions from the from the feet to the floor that you got to catch them. So like throwing a butterfly hook in, elevating and, and attacking the leg from some sort of position. That, that has to be a positive about Nathan Manis, that he's 3-0 and in the UFC and he's spending so much time working with nice guy submissions, trying to add even more dimensions to his game. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, that's how you're supposed to act as a professional athlete, particularly a professional fighter. Like, there's always something to improve on. There's always something new to learn. There's always something new to add to your game. These guys who just have one style are fucking, like, that's the past, man. That shit is toast. Nobody can do that no more. That, like, everybody who's top level had decide, has decided that that's not anymore, like, that's not relevant no more. You have to be good at everything. You have to fight at a high level. If there is a hole in your game, Jeremy, at 35 years old, yes. that you need to shore up, you need to work on. Do you, do you mind sharing with me? What, what's, your, what's your major hole? What's my major hole? Not in a sexual um, way. That's not a sexual question. Oh. Um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of wrestling positions that I struggle with. I think that there's some particular submission uh, positions that I struggle with defending in particular. And I think that there's, uh, likely several bad habit habits that I could, uh, that someone could take advantage of to, to, uh, put me in bad positions on the feet. I like, and that's just kind of like, I'm sure there's always, there's gotta be something that I'm doing that I'm just not picking up on. And you, Otherwise you, you I would even, try to you don't not have that happen. Yeah. You don't even know what it is. Right. Right. But that can probably be said for about anyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just the approach that I have is just like, there's always something to improve on. Like you, my, my jab defense, like, is it an A plus? Can I block every single jab that comes at me? Every type of jab, every angle, like, are they moving to the left? Are they moving to the right? Do I have a problem with the southpaw with this particular shot? Like I have to develop catching the jab of an orthodox fighter. I have to catch the jab of a southpaw fighter. I have to have the jab of a hand position that's high up by the head. I have to defend the jab that's like kind of hanging down by their waist. Those are all different defensive rudiments. Like they're all catching the jab, but they're all catching a different jab. Just because you're good at one of them doesn't mean you're good at all of them. Okay. Um, are, are you doing okay on time, Jeremy? Oh yeah, I uh, I carved out all my like between class time for you. Love it. I assume, or I'm guessing, you have watched Nathan Manis's three fights in the UFC. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. What if we can do a little bit of a recap and start with Johnny Munoz Jr. when he won? Nathan Manis won via unanimous decision. It was an interesting fight because of the low blows. But if you could do a recap 
of his win back in August of 2020. What do you remember from that fight? Literally, the only thing that I that stuck out in that fight is him getting punched or kneed in the nuts like 40 fucking times. I just, I'm like, I cannot believe that he got through that. But I'm, yeah. Uh, what was the guy's name you said? Johnny, Johnny Munoz? Johnny Munoz Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I have it up right now. I'm going to just jump to a little bit in the first round. Oh, okay. So you've got access to it. You got your fight pass and everything up. I love it. Um, Munoz lost to Manis. And then in August of 2021, he got back in there for the UFC and he beat Jamie Simmons via rear naked choke in round two. So that was that Munoz was, did. Munoz did. So Munoz is now one and one in the UFC. So I'm really trying to focus. So Manis and Munoz both debuted against each other, huh? Correct. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. Well, oh, another one. That's a lot of nut shots, man. It was a weird. Uh, a weird he looks fight. great. He looks yeah. like he's moving well. Man, he's big at 135. Manis is. He's got broad shoulders, doesn't he? Yeah. You've been in there with him. Is that what it feels yeah. like? Is he's big for his weight class? I was surprised at how fucking big and strong he was. I was like, damn. This, like, he was just literally just holding me against the fence, and, like, there wasn't shit that I could do about it. What I, what I love about Nathan Manis is, of course, he's, you know, when I first started going to MMA fights in Kentucky back in 2013, he was one of the first fighters I ever saw in person. I remember him. I knew that he was one of the best guys on the card. And I remember seeing him. I didn't realize how good he'd be. That was in Yeah, I watched uh when I when I signed to fight him, I watched uh, all of his like the amateur fights and shit and I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna smoke this dude. This guy's never fought anybody any good. And then I got in there I was like shit, he's really strong. I can't really do anything to him. This is this shit. Like I had a real problem about like uh smothering my own distance and getting into grappling exchanges just because that was the habit of my footwork. And I just could not disengage from him to save my life. He was so fucking strong in the clinch. And when we got down on the floor, like I was like, maybe I could submit him. And then I was like, Oh, I can't even break his posture. Cool. That's awesome. So are you still watching the Munoz fight? Yep. Yep. He's doing good. He's, been in some good positions, been in some bad positions. Uh, it, do, it definitely looks like he's, uh, he's a little bit more under control. The other guy's kind of desperate and fighting with a lot of energy. Okay. Um, being that this little community we're a part of, you know, Kentucky, Ohio, uh, Tennessee, even this part of the country, Nathan Manis is the the guy who's really doing the best right now on the big stage. So I appreciate you helping me to do some analysis of his most recent biggest fights. So if it's all right, whenever you're ready, we can move from the Munoz fight to the Luke Sanders fight. But if you see anything with the Munoz fight, you want to mention what I remember of it was it was very close, like almost like it could have been a draw or who knows what type of decision it would be. But there was the, the point deductions for the nut shots and Manis walked away with unanimous decision victory, which, of course, is really all that matters. I mean, he won, but it was a very bizarre debut in the UFC. Right. That's definitely not the debut that you want. 
But uh, you said you want to move to the Luke Sanders fight? If that's all right. Luke Sanders is the next fight. Um, UFC, yep. UFC He's out fight of night. Nashville MMA. Yep. Um, Manis, of course, won with a rear naked choke in the second round. What do you remember, or what are you able to see now from this um, I remember, I think I remember Manis getting clipped, and then Manis clipping him and finish him with that choke. Yeah, I think he gets uh, caught a couple times with some clean left straights uh, in this fight. Returning really well. I think he gave Luke Sanders a little too much respect. He should have gone press forward, kept Luke on the back foot. I know, I remember thinking, oh shit, he got tagged. And then inst- I, I immediately said, when I get tagged like that, because I do very light sparring, I kind of bitch, bitch out. I kind of turn into a bitch. And I try to like avoid contact. But Manis did the exact fucking opposite. And he got tagged real yeah. hard. And then he just attacked. Yeah. Sometimes, like that's what you. Sometimes that's what you got to do. Like if you get clipped with something and you move away, it just gives them more space to operate in. Sometimes you got to step in and just throw some fucking heat. Easier said than done, probably, right? Uh, I mean, I guess so. If you're like thinking about your your safety, <laughs> yeah. But if you're all in with your pro MMA fight career. I guess it's kind of... Uh, well, I mean, we're already in a fight. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I've already committed to potentially getting knocked out. I might as well try to knock you out. If it's going to happen to me, it's going to happen. Manis has what appears to be a nice size advantage on Luke Sanders also. I mean, Manis almost has like a perfect build. He for definitely this has the height. Yes. Yeah. He, oh, man. He does. He's got a good build for 135. Uh, I just remember him being so fucking strong, though. I'm watching it, too. Jeremy, he, he's... Where are, you, where are you at? I, and I'll rewind it, but I saw where he just got tagged. So, man, it's kind of shelled up for just a moment, and then he just fired right back. Are you there? What round? Um, I'm watching it on YouTube, so I can't even see. It doesn't even show oh, the round. Okay. Is, this, is it towards the end? Um, it must be toward the end of the video, because it's right when it ended. So it okay. Okay. Manus is back. Yep, I'm going to go to what looks like some grappling exchanges in the second round. Three minutes and thirty seconds into the second round, or less than the second round. Yeah, it was. It was. They're clinched up in the second round. Is when it ended. There yep, it is. It's about to end right now. To reach him with his left hand. No, he's back in south. Oh, I see. He's he uh backed up against the fence and his feet got square. That's when Luke threw that straight left. He couldn't get out of the way of it. He keeps doing that. <laughs> now he knocked him knocked him down. They're in the grappling exchange again. Nathan hits this outside trip. I think it's a uh, Kosoto. Sorry. Yeah, that was a very Takes nice trip. Yeah, very nice trip, especially after just getting tagged like that. Yeah, that was sick. Hell yeah. That was awesome. Okay, so um, if we could now move on to the Tony Gravely. I know this is random, Jeremy, but I, I, I think it's no. exciting to it's see. cool. Yeah, yeah that Nathan, was a cool fight. Nathan Manis getting back in there in June against uh, Nurmagomedov. Um, 
in trying to move to possibly 4-0 and in the fucking UFC, that'd be a big deal. That'd be pretty cool, yeah. What, uh, damn. My, uh, light patch is messed up. Okay. I'm going against him. I'm going against him. So I'm not... I'm now watching the Tony Gravely versus Nathan Manis fight. It's also available on YouTube. I've got Fight Pass, but I don't even have my login and stuff ready. Um, but it's cool. They do have... Oh, this was like a, almost like a, a sword punch type thing that he, or whatever you want to call it. Not a jab. A sword not, punch? I don't know. That's what my boxing coach calls it. But it's like a... Oh, okay. So it's like a cross, a rear hand, you know, a rear-handed, right-handed... Um, not a regular old cross. See, there's like a little. Okay, so I'm watching this two minute fifty one second video of it. Okay, yeah, that's the same thing I'm watching on YouTube. Yep. Okay. At thirty nine seconds in, the action really gets to where it's almost over. So Manis is feeling him out. He's dictating. The He's pace. in a front head right now. Man, he connected right on the chin. This thing is jumping around a bunch. Okay, here we go. Damn. Oh, yeah, I remember this. He got dropped at the end of that first round. I thought it was over. Mm-hmm. Yo, that was crazy. Damn. This is a tough-ass performance, bro. That right hand is a little bit low. That's why he keeps getting hit with uh, the left hook. Okay. So you think Manis has his, his right hand low? Just in that. In the exchanges where he's getting hit with that left hook? I mean, it's yeah, you can look at it. And it's not in, like, a position to catch the hook. Gotcha. Um, but but yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying about the punch. That's a weird, like, almost uppercut, almost cross, like, in between there. Mm-hmm. Or hook. I may be getting a little carried away here, but I want to make a comparison of the punches that he, the punch that he knocked him out with. Does it look possibly somewhat similar to the punch that Nick Mondelli used to knock out Tyler Mangicaro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His little, it, it's like a little dumpy right hand to, to, to the right side. Mm-hmm. Kind of you, you tail your head off and your shoulder off to the left, mm-hmm. and you kind of just loop that right hand out into that space that you feel like they're going to. I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. Kind of similar, right? Got the same feel to it. Do you have a, a a name that you would call that punch? Um, the uh, no man, no. Just your right hand, like in a little loopy right hand. Okay. Do you spend much time working with your fighters, and you yourself working on just boxing? Um, I mean, I work on positioning, which is at, like that. That's what the striking is. That's all of our stuff that we do work wise. That's all boxing footwork. It's not from a boxing stance, but it's boxing footwork. It's, it's striking footwork, like proper positioning and striking like combat sports. Okay. It's all the same shit. All right. I love it. Um, well, of course we will all be cheering for Nathan Manis against, um, Khabib's cousin. In next month mm-hmm. for the UFC, we're looking forward to that. Obviously, best of luck to you in your upcoming fight and to all your fighters, not only Perry Stargell 
and Zachariah Kamara and yourself with your upcoming pro bouts, but also your amateur fighters. Before we wrap things up, Jeremy, are there any other uh, things you'd like to mention, any plugs, anything you want to get in before we wrap up the episode? Uh, man, no, just thanks, Kelly. Thanks to all the people that choose to listen to this. Okay. Good stuff. Well, Jeremy Pender, I appreciate your time. Of course, I hope to speak with you again sometime soon. Have a great rest of your day, Jeremy. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we'll have another episode out soon.